1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Steve McQueen and Paul Newman race against time as one tiny spark becomes a night of blazing suspense. The Towering Inferno. It's out of control. It's coming your way. Warner Brothers and 20th Century Fox present Irwin Allen's production of The Towering Inferno. Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, William Holden, Faye Dunaway, Fred Astaire, Susan Blakely, Richard Chamberlain, Jennifer Jones, O.J. Simpson, Robert Vaughn, and Robert Wagner, The Towering Inferno. Those people are going to die up there. Something's not done. I want you out of here. So you can stop worrying about me. What about me down there worrying about you? I'll never let you go anywhere without me again. I'll be back with the whole fire department. The Towering Inferno. Set me down on the scenic elevator. Now, the producer of the Poseidon Adventure brings you more spectacle, more stars, more suspense than you've ever seen in one motion picture. Steve McQueen is the fire chief. Paul Newman is the architect. Step by step, floor by floor, this is a race against time to save hundreds of people trapped in a night of blazing suspense as the world's tallest building becomes the towering inferno. The towering inferno. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro, and today I am joined by two-thirds of the cast of the Stabby Road podcast. 
Mr. Rob Greeden and Mr. Joe Senna. Hello, guys. Hey, how are you? How are you, Paul? Thanks for having us. Uh, thanks Thank for coming you. on. Now, for background purposes, uh, these gentlemen both have far more to do with uh, filmmaking than I have ever in my life. Uh, they they both <laughs> they are both industry industry people to some to to whatever extent they want to admit to. Uh, so we're going to get a slightly different perspective on things than we normally do because normally it's totally the amateur hour uh, when when we're doing <laughs> this. Uh, although I have taken film classes, if that counts for anything, and. Rob and I know each other about five years now, and yeah. I don't think we've ever had a conversation that hasn't gone into movies at some point or another. Nope. Or the odd couple. So, and yeah, well, that too, yes. Uh, but, I, you know, the, my, my joke today was, uh, or my what I found amusing, uh, is before we got started today, there was a possibility Rob wasn't going to make it because there was potential for a gas leak at, at his house. So I was thinking... Obviously, Rob is a method actor and wants to burn his house to the ground for the purposes of doing this particular film, because today we're talking about the towering inferno. So I did not I did not miss the irony of that. Also, Good one. I was like, if this house burns down right after I watched the towering inferno, yeah, it really would be something else. So I've, I kind of got into a uh, disaster movie kick recently for whatever reason. And I've already recorded an episode that's going to air before this one about the movie Airport. Okay. Uh, I have not recorded yet, but before this one airs, there'll probably be one on the Poseidon Adventure because that actually was released before this movie. Yes. And I haven't even made any plans for it yet, but I'm planning to probably do Earthquake. Ah, around. Yes, in around. And um, yeah, okay. There's a lot to be said about Earthquake that I love. So now just I, I'm going to just jump around because we do do a lot of stream of consciousness as we do this show. But the first thing, because I rewatched it for the purposes of doing the show. And the first thing that jumped out to me that I had never thought before is this movie opens up in the title sequence showing a helicopter coming over the water and eventually going to the building where this is going to happen. And Poseidon Adventure ends with a helicopter picking up the survivors off the boat and coming off the ocean and these are both Irwin allen disaster movies and i'm wondering well, yeah. if that was an almost intentional thread between them i you know they, they really just seemed to me like wow that seems weird that this helicopter is coming over the water right now yeah I, he does have, I, I think he does have some kind of water obsession because uh even before that there was voyage to the bottom of the sea there was you know all, all these things i so it very well could be he could have some kind of weird obsession with uh, with because I mean for a movie that 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 takes place mostly on fire, uh, it really does end with giant gallons of water uh, running through going through everything. Is there a shared Erwin uh, Allen uh, cinematic universe? That's what I'm wondering. That's so, I'm thinking this is a shared universe. That this is that was the helicopter coming from the Poseidon <laughs> on its, its way and on its way decided to pick up the people from the uh from that the, poor from pilot that poor pilot's like jesus christ you know they should make a show about that pilot <laughs> well that would be, that would have had to have been george kennedy <laughs> yes yes okay because he is the one thread through all the airport movies he's in all four of them right yes that's right but now i saw this as a i guess 11 year old in the movie theater with my <laughs> friends and i was riveted Every step of the way. Yeah. I'm sure that I've seen it once or twice in the intervening years. But then I watched it, obviously, for this. 
And what was nice was I had the advantage of watching it with my wife who has never seen it. Oh, okay. And she liked it, which, you know, I wasn't sure. Right. But but she enjoyed it. So I know I have a definite nostalgia and fondness for this movie. I'm wondering about you two guys. I The funny thing is, before even the movie came out, I remember just being sort of obsessed with the poster. It was a beautiful poster. Yeah, wasn't it? It, it was just because you just it's mostly the it's mostly the roof. And then just this incredible perspective shot of, of the building going what seemed to be like miles down to the ground, you know, with the helicopters and the fire. And, the, you know, it was a, it's a really it's it's one of those um, one of those real big Hollywood studio things where they sort of almost make the poster first. And decide to make a movie around it. I'm thinking the movie, yeah. the, the poster almost has that sense of exaggeration to it yeah. that you had in the King Kong movie poster. Yes. That's exact. Yeah, that's where my head was going to. Yes. Also, it, the, the same director. I was going to mention that yeah. also. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's uh, John uh, Gillerman. Gillerman. Yeah. I was he gonna, has, it was also the, uh, the, uh, the Godzilla versus Megalon poster. Mm. Oh yes, yes. Right. A lot of that, a lot of that, you know, forced perspective from the top of the building stuff going. Right. Yeah, but in in the in the King Kong poster in particular, and I am a fan of that movie. I know some people mm. are not. I am. Uh, they make King. I mean, don't they have Kong big enough that he has one foot on each, on each tower? tower? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, that's and that was a, a John Berkey slight exaggeration. That's yeah. That's the King Kong that could fight Godzilla. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So what was what was your first viewing of this? Was it in a movie theater or elsewhere? Joe, I'll get oh, it to I'm you. Sorry, I, I, I'm still you trying had, to remember where I first saw it. Hmm, I was expecting like wavy lines in a flashback. Uh, uh, I first saw it in the theater, too. Um, I was the type who went out of his way for all of these gimmicky because I missed the the, uh, the age of. Um, Oh my God, I'm blanking, and he's like, like my, uh, William Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I miss the era of William Castle where he would like electrify the seats and and have a skeleton come out. So I was like, I wanted spectacle. Yeah. And I would go in for all of the. I still remember seeing Midway and Sense Around, and not understanding till many years later that it was just a lot of big speakers. Um, <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, I I went to see any of these disaster pictures because at the time. I was a science fiction fan and they weren't making big science fiction movies, but it, it Logan's run, you know, it was the biggest film in it before star Wars. I mean, aside from 2001, of course, but Logan's run was basically like a giant tabletop slot racing, uh, 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 track, you know, and, and it didn't impress me where the only places where they were doing these big realistic effects were the uh, disaster pictures. So. Yeah, well, in in that particular era, and I've done some episodes on these things recently. In that, you know, the the science fiction movies were more the dystopian movies. You know, Planet of the Apes, The Omega Man, Soylent Green. There's a thread that runs through those three also. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but you know, also you got Westworld. Even uh, you know, they, mm-hmm. they all had this. Yeah. Really, until you got to Star Wars, they really weren't bright and sunny in any way. No, and even Star weren't. Wars had its negative, obviously. Right. But they yeah. they were definitely darker themed. Uh, and I, I, we also recently did Silent Running on here. Yeah, uh, Roy and his dog, and yeah, all yeah. those. Yeah. I was I was amazed just uh, 
you know, in retrospect with those episodes that we when we did a uh, Soylent Green, I had to get it done before the year ended when I found out that that movie takes place in the year 2022. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And everybody's wearing masks, everyone and everyone's, uh, you know, it's it's real interesting and everyone's living on top of each other. And it, yeah, it wasn't um, kind of a, pr- uh, pr- pr- a bit of a writing on the wall movie, we, you know. Yeah, a little a little too close to reality. Yeah. In some Soylent respects. Green and and marry it with Idiocracy. I think you've got the <laughs> vision of where we are right now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> in this this we talked earlier about Airport, and I was saying that was kind of like the last gasp of old Hollywood. Mm. This movie kind of takes it. You could see where this movie, you know, it comes from. Poseidon Adventure, and in these two movies, this one and Poseidon mm-hmm. Adventure, they've kind of perfected the formula. Whereas yeah. whereas in Airport, it is more of the star-driven movie. These movies are star-driven as well. I mean, you look at the cast of this movie, I can't argue that it's not. Right. But it depends they, on the definition of star, actually. I'm sorry? It depends <laughs> on your definition of star, but go ahead. Well, I mean, certainly Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. Yes, but Richard Chamberlain... Oh, come on. He's so easy to hate. <laughs> uh, he is so easy to hate in this In movie. that film, yes. But, you know, I keep thinking of the Thornbirds. And still, the Thornbirds is such a giant 50-pound wheel of cheese. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's like yeah, you got Steve McQueen, you got Paul Newman, and you got Richard Richard Chamberlain. Uh, you got to go to William Holden before you go to him anyway. Well, and, and true. Yeah, you got to get through William Holden. Yeah. And yeah. Fred Astaire. And, yeah. and Fred Astaire, they did manage to have a scene where he's dancing. And yes. I thought that was key. You, if you didn't yeah. do that, it, it would have been a, a, a sin. Yeah. I actually, in, in terms of character development, I actually thought his was probably the most interesting character. I agree. In the film. You know, because everyone else was there to sort of bring the story from point A to point B. You know, Steve McQueen well, was there the to... he's the only one who really had a character arc. Yes. And, 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 but the arc changed because of the event of the fire. And because of the love of the good woman and all right. that. Right, exactly. You had a change but, of heart. All of that happened, right, but all that happened over the course of the film versus stuff that happened before the film. Like the Richard Chamberlain, Susan Blakely, and, and uh, Robert Vaughn story all happens before the film starts. Yeah. You know, and the same thing and the same with, with Paul Newman and Faye Dunaway. All their history happens before the movie starts. So by the time the movie happens... They're just sort of making their way through it, hoping they could all reunite at the end. But Fred Astaire's character really does. He comes in as a con man, but like so much of his character changes because of the events of the film, meaning the woman he loves, he falls in love with, who he starts out essentially going to con. Right. With these with these. um, Yeah, just for stock certificates, the stock certificates, as well as the fire itself. You know, he he generally he, he genuinely changes See, and, and that goes to one of the themes of the movie that I saw, at least, yeah. with the exception of Jennifer Jones. Mm. And and she is a big exception to this, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so it does kind of kill my theme a little bit. But anyway, with her exception, everybody who gets killed in this movie, you can kind of say it's a little bit of a morality play. Because mm. every one of them is doing something wrong or did something wrong. I mean, right. and some of it is is, you know. Clearly, people just being a little overly sensitive. You know, if you want to go to Robert Wagner and his secretary having an affair and that's, you know, that's enough to kill them for. But everybody else, everybody who dies is doing something they shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Except for Jennifer Jones. I missed it. Was Robert Wagner married? Yes. In fact, he was married 
the woman who played his oh no no i'm sorry i was i thought you meant robert Ford. was he married i think we were jumping somewhere else i it just felt like they were just they were both single it was a legitimate relationship it was consensual and it was just because of the boss secretary dynamic that she had to keep it quiet or the whatever that's possible but they were also banging in his office yeah which that that brings me to Seinfeld saying is that wrong because if I knew that was the thing that was frowned upon, I never would have done that. <laughs> and, 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 and really, uh, I got to say, um, my, my, I tip my hat to the Paul Newman character, the architect, who essentially uh, uh, designed a bunch of sex rooms in these, in these offices. They all have secret sex rooms. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, that, you know, and to, like stop in the middle of the day and, and you know. Yeah. Have a quick one and then be hanging out and smoking cigarettes, you know, while there's yeah. all this hubbub outside. Uh, yes. Life is good. Like did this, I grew up and I'm watching this film and I'm like, did this stuff happen? In seven, can I get an office like that? I know. Like Paul Newman Does walks in with a girl. Yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, good morning, Mr. So-and-so. Good morning, Mr. Johnson. And he goes, yes, yes. Oh, oh, Mr. Jones, would you uh, come with me uh, behind the painting of Napoleon, please? <laughs> you know, and it's like... <laughs> Where did that come from? Now, one of the things about this movie that seems to me, uh, Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, to me, yeah, both just exemplified cool in their own way. Different ways for the two of them, but mm-hmm. they really did. And they both struck me as people who, I'd like to sit down and have a beer with this guy. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and yet, and yet, apparently there was... Like a big thing on this thing, they had to have the exact same amount of time, of of screen time lines, yeah. and their their names had to be askew of each other so that neither one of them mm-hmm. got top billing. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God, the the hoops that they jumped through to please both of those guys. Yeah. It's like now, okay, this one gets first billing, but he's lower. Yeah. I mean, first billing, you know, he's on the left if you're reading from left to right, yeah. but he's lower. So this guy's over here, but neither of them are actually top billing. Yeah. And now, yeah. I, will, I will say that I, uh, uh, having seen interviews with, with John Gieleman, uh, all of that essentially did go away when they were filming. He said once they were filming, they were up. They that, were yeah, so, so realistically, Gilliman that could have been their agents. Yeah. Gieleman said they were a dream Stunt. to work with. You know, I, I always look at that scene at the end when they're rigging the explosives. To me, that's the, that's sort of the the precursor to heat. You know what I mean? Like, like, oh my God, we're seeing Paul Newman and Steve McQueen in the scene for the first time, and they, you know, it was literally like the diner scene in Heat to me. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, as a kid, I was on the edge of my seat with this thing, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm still able to kind of submerge myself into it. When I was watching it a couple of weeks ago for this, uh, you know, I was totally into it. So yeah. the, all of those scenes, really, they they all hit for me. There was. I would say that for the most part, even the things that were unbelievable in the movie, I was willing to just kind of accept. The yeah. only one that really just made me kind of scratch my head is, okay, we got this brand new building. We just opened it. But one of the stairwells, we have 65 pounds of cement blocking the door. <laughs> I know. Huh? <laughs> also, it's, you know, we've heard about cutting corners in, in construction and all that, you know, <coughs> Trump. And, um the the uh but the idea that this huge tower could be taken down by just cheap wiring that that kind of, that still kind of took me out a little bit yeah it's like of all the things it 
and for the architect to have, have just been like he opens the 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 case and sees the wiring is bad it's like he's just discovering this for the first time it's like did anybody do Nobody any inspect this? Did yeah. they run any? any yeah, well, that's tests? that's a little unrealistic that yeah. they didn't and inspect the place it as it was populated. going. All, all the apartments well, seem full. Yeah, but and that, the offices are bustling, so it's not like An- another know. another kind of unbelievable aspect of it is, oh, we we have all these cans of benzene and and paint remover. You know what? Put them under the electric board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with a bunch of cloth. <laughs> yeah. The Krylon spray, spray paint cans. It was like oh. So this, you know, the street artist was taking the day off yeah. and left his left his uh, paints there. But that's oh. that's my favorite thing at the end because when the two of them have that big the, the the big speech at the end, and I'm looking at this going, oh, so the moral of the story is with always check with your local fire department whenever you build a building. Because <laughs> that's tell you how to do it right. that was the big moral at the end. Well, <laughs> maybe that was, and, yeah. and and again, we were all too young to know, but was that a thing? You know, well, I uh, think they all talked I, about building codes, but mostly in the projects. I think you know, that was in order to people. get the fire departments on board to say we 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 promote this movie. You know, we we uh, we endorse it because like it, it, it made all the firemen look not only intelligent that he's saying, I'll tell you how to build it so that it's safe. Yeah. But also, I mean, there wasn't one fireman in this movie who he was the coward fireman. There wasn't one. Mm. You know, there, there wasn't one guy who was Robert Vaughn from uh, The Magnificent Seven. <laughs> right. There was there was that one scene where they were looking down the elevator shaft and they had to uh, start rappelling down. And there was the one fireman who said, uh, I can't do it. Um, I can't do it. And uh, I think Steve McQueen said um, something to the effect of, OK, great. So you go first. Wait, no, he said you go first because when you fall, I don't want you to take everybody That's with it. me. That yeah. was it. right. That yeah. was because it. it was it was some way of saying you know he had a little a little bit of a you know shell shock there, but right. Steve McQueen just shut him down. Steve McQueen, I I've always enjoyed his roles. I have not seen this film since the first time I saw it, but damn, did he steal the movie for me? No matter mm-hmm. what he said about billing and all that, it seemed like Paul Newman at a certain time in the film just whatever you say, sir, and it was a great fire procedural to listen to the tech 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 stuff that's coming out of steve mcqueen's mouth i'm thinking this is incredibly realistic and i don't remember that part from the from when i was a kid because he just wanted to see shit blow up right can we say shit on this show okay (laughs) good so uh uh that, like by the way, we're we're behaving ourselves language-wise. I've listened to enough of your show to know. <laughs> okay. I was telling Joe before. Uh, I, I'm disapp- one of the reasons I'm disappointed that Sonia's not on here, and anybody listening, Sonia's the third uh, member of this crew. She's not yes. feeling well today, but she's also significant, significantly younger than the three of us, and they rag on her a little bit by uh, uh, saying that you know Fred Fred uh, Gwynn was famous for being in My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> Uh, and things like that, as opposed to mentioning Herman Munster. Are you? Yeah, so, yeah. so I was planning on talking about how Paul Newman became famous from se- for selling salad dressing. She's missed. She's really, she's actually the, the 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 core of the show and the heart of the show and the conscience of the show. So, yeah. So we can and be. What it's worth, I think you guys have a really good rapport with the three of you. Uh, a little disappointed with your Roman show that you didn't actually talk about the movie more. Uh, I know. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes we just stray off. And, and Did we talk about the movie at all? 
I mean, you there know. was a little talk about the dogs and the fake dog. Okay. Right. But anyway, back to uh, <laughs> yeah, back to your show. Back back to, to yeah. this movie because I don't want to. I, and believe me, we do plenty of stream of consciousness on here. Oh, I just remembered the first time how I saw uh, the Towering Inferno. It was my dad took me to a double feature of the Towering Inferno and Earthquake because oh. Centron was a big thing. So they had a double feature of uh, of they they show the Towering Inferno first and then uh, then they they show Earthquake and Centron. So I was probably the only 11-year-old ever to walk out of a movie with a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> because uh, they're not short films. They're, they really no, are. No, much. And there's so much yeah. testosterone in those movies that, you know, yes. no matter how old you are, it's just like, whoa. Yeah, because hey. yeah, you went from Paul Newman and Steve McQueen to then uh, Charlton Aston. Yes. And Marjo Gortner and these guys are all tough guys, you know. Joe Courtney. Yeah. Well, you know what? We're gonna. I'm gonna ask you guys now. I'm gonna put you on the spot in front of everybody. Uh, you two, <laughs> do you two want to come back for Earthquake? I would definitely come back for Earthquake. Yes. Okay, yeah. and then we'll we'll try and get Sonya on board, yeah. and we'll do that one. Sure. I already have somebody lined up for the Poseidon Adventure, so you're. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, well, back speaking to this. of Poseidon Adventure, let me. I, this is something I wanted to, to ask. If, if anyone was conscious of this fact, I didn't know that Towering Inferno followed Poseidon Adventure, but. In the Poseidon Adventure, you had, I want to say Maureen McCormick. That's not right. But Maureen the, McGovern? Maureen, Maureen McGovern, McGovern. Thank you. Saying there's got to be a morning after, which was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. And then in the Towering Inferno, uh, Maureen McGovern has another song. <clears throat> we May Never Love This Way Again, I believe Which it was is. not mm-hmm. quite popular, but no. I thought to myself, was there a try, an attempt to, to recreate it, but didn't work? Probably. Well, you got to remember they're both yeah. Irwin Allen. Yeah, so... That was interesting. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that he um, was trying to create a formula at the time. He was trying to mix a formula together, and and yeah. you're getting the things that worked in Poseidon Adventure, and carrying that over to Towering Inferno, hoping that it'll work. Now, did you know? John Williams do the score in the Poseidon Adventure? I don't I remember. Think he did. He probably did. And it, the interesting thing about that, because I did have something to say about John Williams, is because he wasn't. A, it wasn't until less than a year later because you're talking this is december of 74 when this gets released you're talking i think it was june of 75 that jaws came out you know right before july 4th because they wanted to coincide with the movie the big July, you know closing the beaches and stuff you've that that's right hmm? you've heard of jaws right paul just yeah i, I vaguely <laughs> i'm vaguely familiar with it okay. so it's so he wasn't a pretty, a particularly big name at the time, John Williams. He did, however, have a very long-standing relationship with Irwin Allen. Yeah, because well, you know, of uh, you know, Land of the Giants. Land of the Giants, Lost in Space, and Johnny and Williams. Johnny was Johnny Williams back then. Yeah. So, th- so it was interesting that he got him. I don't. So, you, did he do the music for Poseidon Adventure? Did we find That's, out? I'm trying to look for that, and I'm. John Williams is from Flushing. Oh, nice. Yep, he was actually from my parish, just had to say. See, this is where we use um, my son, Super Tech Josh, on our show, because he's the one who looks the stuff up while we... I'm I'm looking it up while I'm going with this, and John Williams. The score of the film, this is Poseidon Vinge, the score of the film is composed and conducted by John Williams. Yes, see? So so, so he obviously, like you said, he had a relationship with Erwin Allen, much like he has a relationship with Steven Spielberg. Exactly, and George Lucas. But but the reason why I brought that up was because you were you were it was what you were saying about Maureen McGovern. 
you know, um, you know, I think he's just trying to keep the, the, the formulas that worked in the past and carry them over into. So whereas someone like uh, Williams's score worked quite well, Marie McGovern's, you know, trying to catch lightning in a bottle again with uh, another song didn't. Mm. See, now, because of the length of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and the formula, the formula is let's let you know, I mean, let's go through it. Introduce you to the characters get you to like certain people, get you to dislike certain people, right. and then have the disaster hit and now follow right. how they react to it. Uh, because of the size of the cast of this, and you already mentioned, we, we, we already gone through, Fred, uh, Fred Astaire is the only one mm-hmm. who really had a character arc. Right. Everyone else I kind of feel is, I was going to say they're kind of two-dimensional, but they're a little bit more than that. They're almost like two-and-a-half-dimensional. They're yeah, not fully rounded out characters, well, but you get I, to know each one of them a little bit enough so that you think you kind of feel, have a feel yeah. for them. And a lot of that is 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 the the, the the actors themselves. You know, there are certain actors who know how to bring something to um parts that aren't necessarily as well-rounded. And we talk about that a lot, Joe, particularly with British characters. Like when we, when we talk about British sci-fi in the 60s, you know, we, we our, our podcast is mostly horror, but we do talk about, um, like, you know, a lot of British sci-fi and British folk horror and things like that. And, and a lot of the characters aren't particularly well-drawn out, but we are so drawn to them because they are uh, Shakespearean, um actors they're they're actors and a lot of that has to do and it's the same thing we know very little about paul newman other than he built the move the thing but we care and, about and that he's sleeping with faye dunaway he's faye, you're right so and, but we care about him because of the the level of actor that he is same thing with steve mcqueen same thing with robert vaughn same thing you know, these are guys who know how to act and 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 can bring something to a role that isn't necessarily as well rounded out as a role that that you know you know like if you look at like let's say Stephen Queen, you look at this role compared to like Papillon, you know what I mean? I mean that's it's night and day in terms of how deep, how shallow or deep a character can be, or two dimensional, three dimensional character be. But he brings his A game to both those roles. We, we've we've talked on, on occasion about different good actors, yeah, and how much range they may or may not show, yeah. Uh, Robert, uh, Robert De Niro is a good actor who does not have tremendous range. Mm. If you, you know, his parts are all kind of in one kind of role. Val Kilmer is an actor where you could see him in 15 different movies and not even realize it's the same actor. Mm. Right. Or Gary Oldman, same thing as that one. Yeah. Uh, Paul Newman, I think, is a, a tremendous actor. But his parts, you know, he's usually playing a similar guy so you kind of feel like you know him already it's bush yeah. cassidy if he was if he was a, an architect right right yeah yeah very much so yeah you know, and, you know, my, and, usually, Blue, and usually characters same. like that who are, are are you know like um paul newman or henry fonda my favorite roles of theirs are usually the roles where they're so out of that out of that um i don't want to use the word stereotype but out of that type when they yeah, when, when, against, when they're playing against type when they're you know, playing like, a bad guy. One of my favorite roles of, of Paul Newman is literally the first act of The Hustler. That's the most non-Paul Newman role. I mean, he's he's desperate. He's he's drinking. He's he's you know he's he's being you know he knows that he's going to lose to Jackie Gleason no matter what he does. And it's it's a brilliant you know you know it's it's 
whenever I see an actor who plays against type, that's usually ends up and that ends up being my favorite role of theirs. You know, George Clooney and Old Brother Were Out There, or Henry Fonda in Once Upon a Time in the West. And that's you know, I was going to say that exact one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's whenever they pull out a type that makes it interesting for me. And, and even actually, uh, Steve McQueen and Papillon. That's not that's not a role he normally does. Yeah, no, that's very different from this, from Bullet, from uh, Magnificent Seven, from yeah. Great Escape. Right. You know, exactly. all, you know, and and he's great in all of them. Yeah, and to an ex- a certain extent, which is why I liked Fred Astaire in this movie so much. Yes, yeah, because he's like, playing the bad guy at least initially until he turns. Yeah. yeah, or or just just not that type of person. Just a, just a yeah a, a down on his luck schmuck who's probably on his last game. Yeah, that that's what I got out of the, the Fred Astaire role. It's like exactly. he was, he's getting tired of of doing this nonsense all the time. Right. And uh, you know, the disaster, you know, was his traumatic experience and his epiphany. And Jennifer Jones, you know, was actually somebody he cared about. Right. Uh, Who initially saw as a mark, maybe is possibly his last mark. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think his plan is to make her his last mark, and that's before he has his turn right i think yeah. he's planning on just getting his money and being done yeah and he's gonna you know abandon her whatever it's gonna be but then he falls in love with her yeah but, but let's talk let's talk about the uh the the, the women in this picture because since sonia isn't here to defend them um <laughs> they are more stereotyped than the men wow oh yeah. boy yeah wow this was definitely you know the male gaze with like binoculars on it was yeah. um uh, Robert Wagner's girlfriend um, uh, wearing one of his shirts and then uh, getting caught on fire and plummeting to her death. And, and even Jennifer Jones, the idea that she takes this fellow she's known for like five minutes and uh, despite their correspondence and <clears throat> he says, well, I was going to con you out of stuff. Oh, that's OK. You know? <laughs> yeah. it's okay. I'm not going to turn you into the police. Right. You can leave now. You know, so wow. No, she gives him total forgiveness, total absolution. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, I'm not going to turn you in. It's I'm still in love with you. That's just yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to even be angry tonight. So I fell yeah. in love with the person you are pretending to be, but I'm still in love with you. Because, well, does does, yeah. does that maybe give her character? This is really a stretch here, but I'm being devil's advocate. Does that give her character a little bit more depth to say she's that desperate to find a relationship? She's that lonely. I, I would say yes, but there's nothing in the film itself that conveys that. I'm thinking about her with the kids and how she's acting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm putting a, a subtext on it that probably doesn't exist. Yeah. Also, I did I miss something? Did their deaf like was it was the mom deaf or was their nanny deaf? I think the mom was deaf. Yeah, that, okay. I, got, I got lost on that too. I, like... I missed something. <laughs> what whatever became of her? Did, didn't she pass out and OJ carried her out? No, OJ carried. Oh, because I remember I must have looked down or something because I remember OJ carrying a cat out. Yeah, that's the second second thing. And that oh. I was going to make a point of saying that one, too, <laughs> yeah, sure. because that one I was I, I had a whole discussion when we were watching it about how, you know, you see these people, you think you kind of know what they're like and you have no clue what they're like. Because I said yeah. when I saw this in the movie theater Everyone loved OJ. Everybody thought he was the greatest guy in the world. And yeah. when he when he brought that cat out, there was a round of applause in the theater. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now people would be hissing at him and wishing the cat oh, yeah. would scratch. The- Here's a little tidbit of him, because uh, in case you don't know, James Cameron 
uh, when they originally were doing the Terminator, they the studio wanted to use uh, OJ as the Terminator. I had heard that. And James Cameron said, no, he, I can't see anybody. I can't see this guy as a bad guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I didn't well, know that. If you look at how he was on the screen, it's... You, de- you didn't yeah, get that. You never know. Uh, yeah. You know but that's, it, and that's where that I say you don't know what these guys are like unless you actually know them. Right. That shocked all of us when that happened. You yeah. Know? The trial, of course, during the course of the trial, it changed a lot of people's minds. But uh, mm. when it happened, it was like, no, that O.J. Simpson kill his wife? Yeah. Why would he do that? The man I mean, it's a sim- similar dynamic with uh, Bill Cosby. Everybody thought, you know, he was America's father. Everybody yeah. loved him until they found out he was drugging women to have sex with them. Yeah. Well, you know. It, <laughs> go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. <laughs> Hang yourself. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't going to say, well, you know, that's not as bad. No, that's <laughs> that's not where I was going. It's like, well, you, you know what? Uh, God bless the generation that didn't have Internet or even, you know, uh, uh, Hollywood magazines you know, who could live their lives in secret and get away with that shit. Right. You know, nowadays we all know everybody's full of shit. Yeah. And, well, and, and that's more, the thing. Even, even the people who present as pristine, yeah. I'm not ready to canonize any of them until, you know, un- unless I have reason to believe I really, really know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, I, I remember years ago, and this is, I mean, we're wandering here, but I remember years ago, uh, people I knew had a marriage that split up and the wife, everybody thought the wife was the sweetest woman in the world. And the marriage broke broke up. And I remember saying, oh, you know, I really feel bad for her, blah, blah, blah. And and one of the guys just said, back up a second. He says, we have no idea and we never will have any idea what that house is like when the doors are closed. And exactly. Exactly. He said, you know, she could have she could have been just putting on the best show ever. So I'm not saying she is a bad person. All I'm saying is you don't know. And it's true. You know, you, you don't know these people. And, and, you know, the way films are presented they want you to think you know them. Right. Especially, you know, people like Steve McQueen, Paul Newman. They want you to, you know, to, to have these people up on a pedestal so that when they're the hero in the movie, you're inclined to just accept them in that role right away. And yeah. when they're the villain in a movie, it's going to be shocking to you because you already have them in such high esteem. And now right. everybody's doing that any, you know, by themselves on social media. You know, <clears throat> uh, it's it's it it caught on. You know, so everybody's putting on their their best face on social media unless they're begging for sympathy, you know, but the most people, of the time, are learn, people are learning from the mistakes of the ones who went before them. Exactly. Yeah. It's like it's like, you know, look at me. This is really awesome. You know, and, and they've got like some fake thing behind them, making them look like they're they're having a wonderful time um, and they could be the most miserable people in the world um, or abusers or something you know that the bottom line is everybody fucking sucks <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately you're probably right just an interesting Manny. little tidbit on the uh on the wikipedia page that josh would have been giving us if he was here yeah is mcqueen newman and william holden all wanted top billing william holden wanted that. top billing yeah yes i get the feeling and i don't know yeah, but I get the feeling that William Holden was a nasty drunk. <laughs> I know he was a drunk from the way yeah, he died. Yeah, I've, I've, I've. That's kind of the painting, the picture I've heard painted of him. But I don't know. Obviously, again, we talk about behind closed doors. I, we don't know for sure, but that's sort of what I've heard about him as a person. Meanwhile, like the only thing when I think of him, you know, 
the one that comes to mind is is the Starlog thirteen William Holden, who, you know, I I would I would uh, you know give put my life in his hands. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, I don't think that's the well, real that guy. That was a guy. movie. It's a great and movie. He was acting. Yes, I hear that. So, <laughs> it's like, yeah, he, these these tough old bastards, especially funny the ones that he, at the he, tail end of their Hollywood careers. His part in this really just like I don't see how you could even read the script and think, oh yeah, I get top billing. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know that he would qualify for like a supporting actor nomination. Yeah, that yeah. that was strictly ego. At yeah. Like that, that was a that was a I I wouldn't call him a has been at that time, but I wouldn't say that he was exactly the brightest star in 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 uh, yeah. the Hollywood sky at the time. Or yeah, I mean, if it had been fifteen years yeah. earlier. It could also very well be what we talked about before, where it's his management trying to keep him, uh, give him a, a sense of relevancy in the business so that he keeps doing more. Yeah, that's like true. That. It's, it's the management of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very possible that that's where this all comes from. Uh, a couple of just interesting uh, casting moments, and it's more interesting in hindsight than it is at the time. But, uh, that, you know, one of the fire chiefs was Dabney Coleman, who yes. yep. had virtually that. no, you know, no recognition at that time. Yeah. But now, oh, you know, man. And how he delivers that line to Steve McQueen, basically telling him you're not coming back. Yeah. You know, it, it, that must have been something. Dabney Coleman being what Dabney Coleman would yeah. become. And it's, it's a great bit of dialogue, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great bit of dialogue. Where it's just like, well, there are only two people who could possibly do it. And the other guy's burned alive. So. Make your choice there, Steve. <laughs> guess who? Guess who's going up there? And the way Steve McQueen just accepts it, you know, it's like yeah, because that's, that's that, right. Because that's 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 the character he is. He's the person, you know, and and he does. There is that moment where he just goes shit or damn it or whatever he says, mm-hmm. and so he knows he knows what it means. Yeah, but he doesn't hesitate. That to me is yeah. similar in its own way to. I'm stretching here, but that reminds me of in Dirty Harry mm-hmm. when when they're talking about, OK, who's going to drop off the ransom money? And 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 Clint Eastwood just kind of smiles over at uh, what's his name? Uh, Rene. Uh, I can't think of his, his last name. Oh, uh, Abijanol. No, 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 not Abijanol. Uh, <laughs> the, the poppy. From oh, Seinfeld. Santoni. Santoni. Rene Santoni. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he looks over, he, he smiles at him and he's like every dirty job. You know, like it's just he, it's understood he's going to do it. And that's the way Steve McQueen is in this. It's like whatever the job is, I'm going to do it. Right. And right. and that's where I say that these guys are almost two and a half dimensional. Uh, right. That, that you, you know, they, they, yeah, they're kind of stereotypes, but you feel like you know yeah. them and the actors inhabit the roles enough that you they don't feel like paper cutouts. Yeah. And you do but care I, yeah. about them. But that half dimension you're talking about to me is is. The, the, that's what that that's what McQueen is bringing to it. Yes, I, you know? I agree yeah. totally. But that's and that's, but that's, that's what that's what elevates the role. Them. Yeah. And if you don't care about them, then this movie fails. That's exactly it. Yeah. That's the formula. You have to right. care. Right. Uh, and right because because if you didn't have these characters, essentially what what it would be would just be it would be if you took a soap opera and set it on fire. Yeah. That's exactly what it would yeah, be. Yeah, you know, uh, if if it was just you know actors who weren't of this, weren't of this the the the, the ability of uh, or the or the or the cut from this the cloth of these guys, you know, because the story is just essentially that everybody in the story has this sort of almost soap opera e kind of thing happening to them. 
they're having they're having the affair or they're you know or it's the it's the architect or, or the guy who used inferior material to you know it's just it's all these sort of little stuff you'd see in soap operas uh just caught on fire well that at that particular time with the with the uh, the fading hollywood stars as they were mm-hmm. um because there were so many of them uh and there were always so many movies they could be in uh, my observation was they either wound up in films like this or they um, uh, they wound up on television. Yeah. And they always grouped them together <clears throat> to the point where they, they seemed to be worth more in a group as they got older than individually. Mm-hmm. And only a few of them actually managed to survive, like John Wayne. OK, right. so John Wayne, right up until his death, death was still a movie star. And, and we're seeing this now also um, with. Movie stars winding up on streaming shows, but Tom Cruise is still hanging off the side of of, of an mm-hmm. airplane, uh, you know, fifty thousand feet. He's the last of the great movie stars. So uh, I, I think it happens with every generation where you're used to growing up and watching these people, and you want to see them, and you almost don't care where you see them. Right. You know, and as the older the generation is aging, they're like, okay, it's nice to see them on the love boat at home. You know, or or we'll go to see them in the, the towering. We'll see the bigger ones in the towering inferno, but still they gotta they gotta cluster together. So I, I wonder if that's just a cycle that happens with generations of actors. Yeah, I think I, so. I think it was. I think it's changed now because I think the streaming services and the fact that we've adopted a ten episode season for mm-hmm. a lot of shows has now has now almost eclipsed the movies and then you you combine that with the pandemic and not as many people going to the theater as they used to i think you know now the streaming services and tv have kind of stolen that spotlight from the movies yeah and add to that that people have big screen tvs in their homes so they don't mm-hmm. need the spectacle of the theater as much as they did yeah it used it used to be in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s uh when a big movie star would you'd see him on a TV show. Your first thought was, okay, that's, that's the elephant's graveyard. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Now, because of, you're right, because of streaming services where the shows have literally the same budgets as big movies. And because they are 10, because they are 10 episodes, eight episodes, nine episodes, um, they then become a writer's paradise. So you're attracting actors who now have these characters that are really well, rounded out or really well drawn out uh and they and they're they're quite attractive to 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 big name actors now harrison ford is on two he's on, shows. he's on two streaming shows yeah never thought and they're two different characters and it looks like he's having fun in the yep. uh the comedy one and he's probably like wow i never get a chance to do this so yeah i'm yep. gonna have a have a rump i don't have yeah. to jump on anything i don't have to wear a costume i'm just gonna dress the way i would dress anyway and just Sit and be a snarky pain in the ass. And, yeah. And he's a great snarky old fart. Yeah. But you know? I'm just thinking about what, you know, what you said, Joe, about it being the elephant's graveyard. But it, it was that. But it was also the birthplace because people like Clint Eastwood started on TV and then moved over to movies. Right. Burt right. Reynolds started on TV and moved over to movies. Bruce Burt Willis Russell started and, on TV yeah. and moved over to movies. So, they, so they're passing each other depending upon what, what phase. Well, that's the, it. Yeah. Because so, so it's almost like it's like it's TV movies and if you're lucky movies yeah but if, if you're if you start to weigh in it's 
you're back to TV. That's what I mean okay. by yeah. And for what it's worth, anybody listening to this, because we can see each other. Oh, that's right. I'm not going to see us. Rob was doing with his hands kind of the up the mountain and then down the mountain yes. thing. Right. Oh, this is, oh, this is just a, an audio uh, recording? That's right. So, yeah, well, okay, yeah, so, it's, yeah. It, it, I only post the audio because right, the, so if you retired, if you retired a movie star, my, my, my first sign was up and stay, stay up. But then if you started TV, went to be a movie star and then went back to TV, then my hand sign was low in the ground, up in the air and then back low in the ground. again. If now, if, if you want a copy of this, of the video version for the Stabby Road <laughs> feed, you're more the, the YouTube channel or whatever. You're more than welcome to, to put it there. But uh, but my on my show, we're just going to be doing the uh, audio. That's, All right. I, I would have been funnier then. <laughs> you still got a couple of minutes. Don't worry. <laughs> nope. Any, anybody else happen. that's worth worth mentioning in the cast other than, say, Bobby Brady? But I was just going to bring up Bobby Brady, not so much for Bobby Brady, although I did. I thought he did a pretty good job. You know, he was he was uh, particularly when um, he was believable as a kid. Yeah, you know? yeah. When when Paul Newman was 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 you know guiding him down, and then then he's like, okay, you're the big guy in charge. You know, just the the, the reaction of him was so classic. He was just like he was like in the middle of his giant fire, but he was just sort of like gleeful to be the guy in charge. I do want to talk about his sister, and the thing about that is there was something in the seventies and late sixties that the idea of for some reason, every cute kid had to have their two front teeth myth missing. Every cute kid. They are, and for me, even back then, that was just demonic nightmare fuel for me. <laughs> you, know what I mean? just, you just see some kid, you're like, oh, hey, oh, here's here's little here's little Sally Hale. Son. She's just like, <laughs> you know, and like, and, and I'm sitting there like, I just asked myself because like this kid is just staring. This demonic kid is just staring at me. You know, without teeth. That's a that's a creepy thing. But for some reason in the seventies, that was adorable. Well, I think I think it was beyond the seventies. I think it was yeah. when did when was that song? All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Front teeth. That's yeah, forties. That's got to be the forties or fifties, right? Oh my god, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah the, the, the missing the front teeth was like a staple of childhood at that time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. It was basically code. It's like okay, this is a young kid because yeah. they're, still, they're missing teeth, and I guess. Two front teeth missing is probably because if you think about it, if it was like one tooth missing on the side, you know, <laughs> then you're like, in deliverance country. Or like someone <laughs> knocked it out. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas the two front teeth yeah. missing in the front, it's even. It's like, okay, <laughs> this person is going to get their new teeth in. Right. Like the kid was in a bar fight. You know, <laughs> it's, just like, it's just missing one tooth. Exactly. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I'm just picturing Bobby Brady taking a beer bottle, smashing it on the bar, and then taking the shard and threatening somebody with it. Now, yeah, exactly. maybe go over to, over to like uh, Danny Partridge or something. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Lookinland and Danny Bonaducci in in like a celebrity death match, which would they used to do back in the day. Uh, don't don't say that too loud because I think if Danny Bonaducci heard us, he'd be looking to do it. Yeah. If you, yeah. if you all you have to do is listen to his his interview with Gilbert Gottfried to yeah, oh, to, yeah. know, to know how uh, out there he was. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, poor soul. He's tried that whole you know. He's had a lot of he's had a lot of demons. Yeah, yes. as did David Cassidy apparently. You know, yeah. when he passed. So yeah, I don't want this to turn into like three old guys talking about yeah, this one died. <laughs> 
So now, see, that's why we have Sonia because Sonya, <laughs> to keep Sonya, to keep you younger. Yeah, and she, and she and she calls us on that too. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the old thing now though because I was gonna say you know every once in a while I do the year. In my day, it was better because right. you know we got to walk to school 20 miles uphill both ways. Anyway. Uh, Oh, no, it wasn't better when we were younger. It sucked. No, there was an <laughs> element that was better about it, that when something like this showed up on TV, it was an event. Yeah. There is yes. no such thing as an event on TV now other than maybe, you know, occasionally the a sporting event like the Super Bowl mm-hmm. or, or uh, you know what? I'm having a tough time thinking of many things. You know, they yeah. might show a live concert once in a while that will attract a lot of people. Right. But there's very little that's event TV. And especially in the ages of the DVR, even if there is an event thing, you might say, well, you I'm going to watch you, it next you week. You didn't have to. Right. You didn't have to watch it live. The Olympics used to be a big yeah. thing. Used to. You know? That was a point in television. <laughs> yeah, you know? certainly the 1980 Olympics. I remember being glued to my TV. Yeah, but, but it's what it, you said too. But even now, if, if the Olympics come on and you just and you could just DVR it or watch highlights of it on YouTube, you don't need to be glued to your television. Yeah. you don't need to be. You know, like you know, um, I remember like any time like a, a Jerry Lewis movie would come on and I was a kid, I would be glued to it, and my mother would be like, "Don't forget to take a shower," and I'm like, I remember plotting out exactly i would lay out exactly what i was going to wear my pajamas everything and the second the commercial came on during uh three on a couch i would race in uh uh literally take a shower and be everything wash my hair brush my hair and be back in that room before the the fucking commercial uh ended that's impressive for a jerry lewis movie i I didn't even know you were french fan (laughs) yes Yes, I was. Uh, now it's like okay, I could watch them. But but yeah. in the era when this was made, and then you know the years following, I don't remember this one specifically, but I guarantee you that there was a full preview TV guide that listed the movies that were going to be shown on network uh-huh. television, and yeah. this one was listed there, and it was probably shown on a Sunday and a Monday night, half time each one, and people were sitting there glued to their 19 inch oh, TV set. Yeah. To watch this this spectacle, I remember yeah. the I remember the, what the ad looked like in the TV guide. It was the it was the poster, but then there was little tons of little squares underneath it with yep. all the actors. Yep. And in the and it was and the, and it was on ABC. So the ABC logo was at the bottom right. I remember the the I can almost draw it from memory. So there was yep. a communal event to these things being shown on TV. Absolutely. And then the next day when you went to school, you'd be talking about how Everyone you watched this last night. Yep. You know, that doesn't exist anymore. And I'm not going to say it's better to not have access to the things you want to watch. Right. But it, it did create something that you don't have anymore. Yeah, it definitely created a communal a communal sense. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you only had you had your three networks and you had your syndicated stations. And you didn't have a VCR. Right. So you had to watch it, like Rob was saying. You 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 know you had to try and rush off during the commercial to do something because it wasn't going to wait for you to come back. No, that was it. Yeah. So and if you missed the show, you know you had to wait for it to come back again. Yeah. And uh, you would or no just hear about it the next repeat. day from everybody. Remember so on, what, on, in the TV guide you actually used to say repeat. Yes. You no. Know? Yeah. It was like in case you had no idea. Oh, it's a repeat. I'm not going to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> but but. So it, you know, was it better? No, but was the excitement level and the enjoyment you got out of it better? I think so. I yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, it also depends. I mean, there are things now that I'm excited for, 
Um, but you're right. I don't need to. I don't need to glue myself to anything. There are still up. events yeah. that occur. Uh, and Rob, I'm gonna I'm gonna draw you back to the first day you and I met. Yeah. Was opening day. Both of us at the same time going to see uh, Avengers. Uh, Infinity That's right. War. That's right. Yes. And for anybody listening, Rob's son dates my daughter, and uh, yes, we just happened to hit Rob and his kids were going at the same time that I and my kids were going, and then they were like, "Well, you might as well meet, J- you know, yeah. Josh's dad." And you know, we we came over and we met, and uh, you know, yeah. but that was, <laughs> <laughs> but that was like an event. It was a big deal that that movie was coming out, and and you know, right. it, it you know there are event things that occur, but I don't think they do with the frequency that they did. In the 70s. Well, they can't because because uh, first of all, the budgets have all gotten ridiculous. Um, and in the movies uh, back back in the day, you had you had your 11 or 12 stations on your TV and the movies still had room. You could have four or five blockbusters, quote unquote, running at the same time during the summer. You, you remember the, the, the Go Ape uh, series when all the Planet of the Apes movies ran the whole summer. Yeah. Um, and you'd have, you know, how many of it, look at a newspaper ad from the 19, uh, from the mid 1970s. You had a bunch yeah. of these films and there was enough uh, uh, to entertain people. Right. Multiple showings a day. It's just once TV started spreading out and cable happened and people realized they didn't have to leave their homes. And now we're at the probably the ultimate stage of that. Um, it, the things to get excited about just moved. That's all. You, you know how yeah. they create excitement now or a communal excitement. You can create excitement with quality anytime, but a communal excitement is something that's different. And I think yeah. you create it now by having something that people are afraid if they don't see it right away, it's going to be spoiled. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. this way, everybody's in a rush to see it as soon as possible, and it and it becomes an event because of that. You know, you have a, a new season of uh, Strange, uh, what's it called? Stranger, Stranger Things. Things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and everybody's like, well, I, I I can't wait to see this, or somebody's going to tell me what happens in it. Right. You know, that that kind of thing creates kind of a communal buzz. Right. But it's different, certainly. You know, than uh, uh, you know, reading in the TV guide, oh, they're going to take the twenty seventh trip down the Yellow Brick Road. You know, right. and, and you know it's not going to be on again for another year right. if you miss it. Right. But that was the thing too. But even before us, before that happened, as you just say, like something like The Wizard of Oz, the only way to see The Wizard of Oz was to go to see it in the movie. It's not like you know, it wasn't until the the sixties, late sixties or something, that it came to TV. Well, there were a lot of movies in that era. Yeah. That they held back from TV because TV yeah. was considered to be a lesser medium. Exactly. And they would re-release them in the movie theaters. Over you know, Gone enough. with the Wind. Yeah. I, I mean, Gone with the Wind. I don't think was on TV until like probably around 1976 or so. Yeah. It, it was the late 70s, early 80s because I remember that specifically because I had yeah. always wanted to see it, never had the opportunity to see it <clears> in the theater. I had to go see <laughs> Animal Crackers in a movie theater because I was a Marx Brothers fan, mm-hmm. and that was never ever shown on TV. Right. Really. Yeah. Yeah, there was a rights thing with it that they uh, that they that for some reason they didn't they weren't able to sell it to TV, uh, and there were a few movies like that. There was even in the eighties there was uh, like five or six Alfred Hitchcock movies that were released in movie theaters that, that, are, that mm-hmm. had never been on TV. Rear yeah. Window, uh, fam- no, not Family Family uh, Plot, maybe Northwest. Um, something I, about Harry. Yeah, yeah I, I remember that because I was dating a girl who's a huge Hitchcock fan. And that particular summer, they released all of them 
like I remember that. yeah too and, and i went to the movies like three times to see these movies because yeah. i had never had any access to see them so yeah plus there are certain movies like yeah certain movies like star wars or or what you even said like a lot of these films now it was still it was still financially viable for them to re-release a movie the following summer rather than take it to tv because people would still go and pay for it to see it in the films and so now yeah. people have such systems at home that a lot of times they're not willing to go to the movies at all. Right. And when a movie comes out, they're like, well, what do I got to wait? Two months before I could see it on TV? Right. And, and now now apparently I, I read somewhere that AMC is considering charging tiered pricing for different seatings in yeah, theaters. I, that's true. I just I just saw that, too. I'm afraid that'll drive more people away. That's I, that's exactly it. I'm gone. Yeah. I'm gone. There's no way unless it's a, unless it's the Alamo Draft House where they're going to come to my table with with food and drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, what's a premium seat in AMC? You know what? Uh, the middle of uh, the fourth row. I don't even know. It's no, like I, not a balcony. There's there's no boxes or anything. It's like I understand that the movies need to to figure out a way to to make more money, but really, you know, it's it's just charging extra for the first four or five rows or something is 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 preposterous. And yes, it's going to drive people away. I have no interest these days um, of going into it. First of all, because I'm, I'm just old enough, I, I just fucking can't stand people anymore. <laughs> you know, turn the damn phone off. Stop talking. That this is an R-rated movie. There's no reason for you to bring fucking infant into the picture. Yeah. Like, you know, if I want to hear screaming kids, I'll stay home. <laughs> and, 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 and they're, again, they're, you know, they're, they're pushing 30. At my house, you know, we have a 75-inch TV set. We have a surround sound system. We have rec- uh, a sofa that reclines. Yeah. Why do I need to go to the movie theater? Yeah. And there, you know, I, I'll admit their system is still nicer than mine, but is it worth my paying ninety dollars to go with my family to see a movie? Right. It's it's a shame because the last film I'd seen in a theater was Dune, and that was only because I, what. So, Terrifier was the last movie you saw in the movie theater. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I was pretty stoned, <laughs> too. I don't remember that. Um, <laughs> I will still occasionally go. I saw, I saw. Last thing I saw was Wakanda Forever. Right. Which I, And I'm glad that it's on Disney Plus now. I can finally yeah. see it because yeah. I don't want to go into a theater and see. Actually, you know what? Wakanda Forever, the, the kind of people who go see that film, they'd probably shut up and actually watch the movie. But um, And that's what happened. Yeah. I, that, yeah, but otherwise you roll a dice and you know somebody comes in and they they it's not the film they expected and they think they're in their living room. Yeah. So if they're gonna, if you know if people are gonna think uh, treat the theater like a living room, I might as well say it's the one that's not gonna charge me twenty two fifty a ticket. And yeah. and especially if if I really 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 want to see a film and they're embargoing it in the theaters until it comes to streaming, there are ways to see that movie. Yeah. I, I do not endorse, nor will I exactly say <laughs> how, but there's always a way. Yeah, there's and, a will. And I'm and I'm also <laughs> uh, at a point where I'm less I'm less enamored with quality of a film, or, excuse me, production values of a film because everything's got great production values these days. So I saw Spider-Man No Way Home, which was the Spider-Verse movie, mm-hmm. and I watched it on one of those bootleg, shaky cam kind of things just because I just wanted to know the story. That's all. I you know, it's like I'm I've I've seen enough computer generated cartoons flying all over the place that it's like, okay, I know there's gonna be more of that. 
I'd like to well, know what happens to the three Peter Parkers. If so I'm I'll getting you correctly here, you're saying that there's people out there who treat the movie theater like it's their living room. So in return, you're going to treat your living room like it's a movie theater. <laughs> Precisely 007. <laughs> there you go. So we, we've wandered off the Towering Inferno because I think we've we've said as much as we're going to say. Yeah, about we've fallen the movie. off the roof and we've landed in. The... And, and we don't have Sonya here to pull us back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As as we go into our old man rants, which, which I, the, the problem is there's no, not a young man here to, to pull us out I or a young know. woman. But anyway, I'm going to ask you, gentlemen, unless before we give any our, our actual ratings on this, is there anything about this movie that that we've left out that you think is important? Anything in your notes? Anything in your thoughts? The other thing I, I would say is just that, you know, for back then, a $14 million budget was pretty freaking uh, impressive. Yeah, you know, for 1974 bucks, but 14 million dollar budget. Yeah, 203 million dollar yeah. box office. Yep, that that's incredible. 203 million in 1974 dollars was probably the equivalent of a billion now. Yeah, that's like Endgame level of profit margin. Yeah, I I'll say that the special effects still hold up. I was yeah. Yes, yeah, the mostly practical. Yeah, a lot of a lot of cameras effects and yeah. And that's actually something that's worth mentioning because as somebody who has an element or a level of acrophobia in his existence, yeah, I'm not a guy who's going to climb up on the roof and put up Christmas lights, uh, you know, because I I am fearful of heights. Yeah. Uh, and watching this movie, it brings all that out when they go in the. Uh, what do they call it? The Breacher Boy? Breacher's boy. And, they, and they're going from yeah. one building to another? Yes. I, I would probably say, you know what? Just let me burn. Hey, you I, know, I, let's yeah. say something about that. Because the first woman who got into the Breacher's Boy, she was an extra or, or, or something. But I, I knew she was scared. She really projected she was scared yeah. of getting into that thing. Yeah. It, it I, I That was one of the most tense moments for me in the entire picture. Yeah. Was her getting into the Breacher's Boy and then yeah. having to – you know, slide across to, to the next building. Yeah, and that was a bit of a Chekhov's gun, too, because she gets in, and you're like, oh, my God, something bad's going to happen. And, yeah, yeah. And, and then she makes it her way through, and then the next person, next person, so that you're like, okay, great, that's that works, until Richard Chamberlain decides <laughs> to produce your body. And <laughs> Richard Chamberlain decides to, like, be a jerk about it, and, and then you see what actually can happen to that preacher boy. It's and who, how yeah. many people piled on? It was Robert Vaughn. It well, was, Robert Vaughn didn't they, pile on. He ended up he was trying to pull it back, and then he slid off. He like that, okay, well, that's what, right, right. So but he, it, I actually felt bad for him because he was yeah. just like. I was yeah. expecting him to, you know, they brought him in as a senator. You know, Robert Vaughn, outside the Man from Uncle, he was just, he always played the type yeah. characters. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know the coward in the, uh, the Magnificent Seven, as 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 you'd said, which I which I have to say, anytime Magnificent Seven's brought up, I get in trouble for saying this, but I really think the Antoine Fuqua remake is superior. Um, that's and, the uh, the one with Denzel Washington. Yes, and, that's and, I don't know about superior, but it is it, very good. It, Ethan Hawke plays the Robert Vaughn character, and you understand why he's a coward. You know. Uh, or at least why he what what the root of his fear is. So that okay, if you're See, this, and this is this is the this is now the dynamic of our show because I'm going to say my favorite of them is still Seven Samurai. Yeah, 
This is our dynamic. My favorite is the Magnificent Seven. <laughs> right. The original 1960 yeah. Magnificent Seven, which I, I, I guess I shouldn't say original since it's a remake of the Seven <laughs> right. Samurai. But right. but I'll even watch Return of the Seven, mm-hmm. The Guns of the Magnificent Seven, and really? the Magnificent Seven Ride. Right again. I yeah. can't make it. You know, once they lose Yule, you know, by like the last one. Well, he's in the first two. He's only. That's what I mean. So by that point, it's like I'm out. And in the in the the last one, George Kennedy is playing the character of Chris. Right. I yeah. I, I don't remember. I'm trying to remember who the main guy is in the other one. I can't remember off the top of my head. All right. It's like love the but, first but, movie for what it is, but I I think what they did with you know some remakes really and and I've seen Dawn of the Dead the 1978 version over a hundred times. Stop counting. And walked into the 2005 version, and I said, this is, by all accounts, a superior – what they did was they took advantage of, of, of the advances in acting techniques, in, in technology, in, in, in photography, and it does become a, a superior piece of cinema. Is it, in my opinion, better than you know, the 1978 handmade film that I saw in Times Square so many times? No, but – I definitely see why people think they hear Dawn of the Dead and they think of the 2005 one now. So Magnificent Seven, uh, I, I think is is just a a great a great picture. And I know we veered off the subject, but you know, can you can you remake the Towering Inferno today? I don't think you can, only because I have two rules of thumb for remakes. Yeah, the first of which is rarely done, uh, is where you take a movie that was a good idea. But poorly yeah. executed and do it the right way. Yeah, and we, uh, we I don't actually, think that happens often because yeah. you don't have the financing for that because it right. does. Since it wasn't done right the first time, it doesn't have the buzz that that you're going to need to get the financing to do it in all likelihood. Right. The second thing is where technology has advanced or other things have advanced to the point where you can kind of fix things that were wrong with the first one, even though it wasn't wrong in the first place. And and the example I could use for that is King Kong. As wonderful as as the original King Kong is, and it, it's still in my mind the best version of it. But as wonderful as that is, special effects have progressed to the point that you could say, "All right, we can remake this movie now." Uh, Peter Jackson made far too self indulgent of a movie, yeah. but whatever the case may be, I, I personally prefer the '76 version to the Peter Jackson version, even though it's a man in an ape suit. Uh, for part of it, except for the scene at the World Trade. Was it was Rick Baker? Carlo Rambaldi thing. Yeah, when they actually built a full size that could only really come just move his arm. How many? How many people <laughs> are actually remember the call in the Daily News? Here we are. Here, here comes more old stuff. Uh, but there was that big ad in the Daily News saying we're going to go to shoot, you know, King Kong in the uh, we're at the World Trade Center Plaza, and it was basically the Carlo Rambaldi suit lying, uh, robot lying on the ground, and they threw a bunch of like cement chips on the side to make it look like he broke. Broke the uh, uh, several of the guys we knew from high school actually went. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you can actually see Tom Powers if you look at him closely. It looked closely enough. You can see Tom Powers at the at the rope. Who was a, a friend of ours from high school. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> to, but to bring this full circle, I don't see Towering Inferno as fitting either of those criteria. Yeah. Because yeah. the practical effects in this are fine. There's nothing wrong with the practical effects. Absolutely. And I don't think they're going to execute the story better where you're going to like the characters more in fact i don't even know if you can make this movie this way with the characters no, this way anymore. you couldn't afford it 
Right. Because because then you because you still wouldn't have to get like I said you'd have to you'd have to it's almost like what I was saying how I I was comparing it to Heat. You know you'd have to get that level of cast together. Well, that's like an Ocean's Eleven cast. Or right. Something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but you know I I I've, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. But. The rock movie Skyscraper, is that in its own way a Towering Inferno remake or is it a Die Hard remake? I think it's a little of both, actually. I have not seen it, but I've heard it's a little of both. And I'm sure it's not nearly yeah. as good as either. Yeah. And there are shots in Die Hard that are definitely homages to the Towering Inferno. You know, like all the, all the you know, them going through the elevator shaft or yeah. or um, uh, 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 Robert Wagner's mistress uh, flying through the window and, you know, using the chair to break the window. And, you know, there, there are definitely homages in Die Hard from, from the Towering Inferno. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the helicopter exploding on the roof and oh, yeah. you know, all that stuff, you know. <laughs> Actually, let's talk just for yeah. a second about that. <laughs> These two idiot women caused that plane, or that helicopter rather, to explode, killing the people who were in it. Yes. Yeah. And then everybody everybody runs over to them like, oh, you poor thing. And they hug yes. them and take them yeah. off. Oh, oh yeah. my God. Oh, you just God. killed these people. You should just toss them off the side. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that scene struck me too for the same reason. It's, yeah. like, it's like you forgot what they were doing out there. Okay. So now <laughs> I'm going to let you guys give me your you, – you both know what the Jaws scale is. Yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, Joe, you signed in first, so I'm going to let you give your rating first. I'd say it's Jaws adjacent. It's um, it's got that spectacle. It's it, it, and why I say Jaws adjacent and what doesn't make it Jaws is the staying power of Jaws as a cultural phenomenon. Um, whereas the Towering Inferno was a spectacle. It had star power. It was a blockbuster. Um, in terms of sheer entertainment value. Aside from the slow spots with the with the character development and the soap opera stuff, I, I found it pretty riveting, especially when Steve McQueen and the and the firemen heroes came in, um, and it became a fire 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 uh, fighting procedural for the most part. I learned a lot of stuff about you know how they fought fires. Um, in terms of it, if 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 it was like scale of one to Jaws and Jaws is a five, I'd say it would have been like a three and a half or a four. Okay, Rob, what do you think? I I, I would say, and this is only because I of the, the big Irwin Allen giant disaster movies, my favorite actually is the Poseidon Adventure. And if Newman and McQueen and Astaire and to a certain extent Faye Dunaway and some of the others weren't in it, I would say it was Jaws 3. But they elevate it for me to just slightly behind Jaws, so it's so so Jaws is just eking it out. So I'm gonna say Jaws too, but but okay. but not by much. Not and, by and that's that's we're, we're all on the same page. Yeah. Oh, is that the uh, rating system? So it's like, is it Jaws? Is it Jaws two? Is it Jaws three? Yes. yes. This is what. See, I'm I'm, I'm past my bedtime. I I, thought <laughs> I missed it. I'm sorry. So I I would say. He's I would 14, say it would have been a Jaws. Fourteen minutes Jaws. past his bedtime, mind you. It's a Jaws two. It's a Jaws two. Okay, yeah, and I'm I'm gonna say, and I think it's in line with with what Rob was saying. It's to me, it's on the high end of Jaws two. Exactly. Uh, it, it's exactly. it's it, it's it's scraping Jaws, but it's not quite getting there. Uh, and and you know, there's different criteria that you're gonna use, and and it's personal to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, frequently. 
one of the categories I think about is rewatchability. This movie, I think, has good rewatchability. Uh, it, it's, it's in, you know, it, there's elements of it that are just enjoyable. I could see if I'm flipping through the channels is, and this is on, I'm probably stopping and staying with it. Uh, I, I would say the one area or one area where it lacks a little bit is I can't think of one solid quote from this movie that I would ever use in real life. Right. But, you know, that's and that's that's well, a minor there, is the, there is the quote from um, O.J. when he goes, uh, hey, get on the ball, man. And I was like, oh, man, because you know what that means. He was referring to killing his wife. Okay. the ball, And I was like, ah, oh, it's a football. This is something I forgot. Yeah. I forgot to mention. I know you they want to make Mike and leave now, Rob. They, <laughs> they wanted to make everything look futuristic. But the, the command center where O.J. was. It's like it was too futuristic and too 70s futuristic. It looked like the headquarters of Shado from UFO. I, I'm i going to show you. Oh, I don't know if you can see it here. I literally have that in my notes that, that it was just every 70s high tech is just a refrigerator with a bunch of lights and, and sometimes two reels of. Two reels. Oh, you got to have the reel to yeah. reel. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. It's funny but, that uh, you, yeah, I, you're totally I, right on that. Uh, so. Again, I'm, I'm inviting you guys back in a little while. We'll do Earthquake. Love to. Love to. That'd be great. Uh, hopefully, Sonia will be up for it and, jo- and join yeah. us and Josh, too. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, we'll make that happen, and we'll keep moving along our disaster movie retrospective. Um, but thanks, guys, for being on. Before we sign off, I would like you to just kind of tell people about Stabby Road and where they can find it. Sure. Joe, I'll let Joe do this. Oh, shit. All right. Um, <laughs> fuzzy brain. Okay. Stabby Road is a horror comedy podcast where three people of different generations, even though Rob and I are a little closer, um, examine themes and tropes in horror films through the eyes of films of their respective eras. And we just started. Um, uh, so, for example, we picked horror comedy. So. As the ancient one in the group, I'm picking Abbott and Costello be Frankenstein. Uh, Rob picked uh, the Monster Squad. Uh, Sonia had uh, Shaun of the Dead. So that's that's kind of what we do. So it's almost like a generational, you know, are, are these which movie said it better uh, kind of thing. And we only talk about the movie for about five minutes and, and, and it's 55 minutes of dick show <laughs> after that. It's it's. It's a great show. I, I I enjoy it very much. So. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Here's yeah. a little something extra for you there. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again for coming on and. Uh, oh, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this and, is this is a yeah. great show. This is. And it was a, and it was a bit of a departure for us too because you know like like Paul was saying I mean Joe was saying we usually do horror so it's fun to do even other movies that we grew up with that weren't horror as well you know stuff like this you know stuff that 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 was part of our childhood. That well, wasn't necessarily you, you have an in, you have an open invite if you have other things you want to come on for that don't fit into the stabby road Great. Uh, awesome. genre. Uh, but in the meanwhile, thank you everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, Mike. Look, we've been checking the situation up in the promenade room, and we figured they've only got about 17, maybe 18 minutes left, if that. It'll take more than three hours to get them all down by breaches, boy. Those people are going to die up there if something's not done. Now, we might just have the answer. Mr. Johnson's a structural engineer. You tell it cheap your calculations. The structural strength of the joists and risers up there in the promenade room, in my opinion, could definitely withstand the explosion. 
What explosion? Chief, we've got the copter ready out on the plaza. Fireman, wait a minute. We'll handle that. Just get back to your job. Yes, sir. What explosion? We can blow the tanks two floors above the promenade room. They hold a million gallons of water. That's more than enough to drown the fire. You're crazy. It might. It's the only way. Well, how do you know it'll work? You kill everybody up there. I don't think so. You don't think? When you take into account the stress and load factors, the building design... Wait a minute, just hold it. Mike, look, we've already made the decision. Now, someone has got to go up there, rig the charges, and blow them. Now, there's only two people in the department qualified for that. That's you and Connors. They just, they just brought Connors down. He's on his way to the burn center. Now, look, under the circumstances, we can't order you to go up there. I'm just laying it out for you. But you... You see how it is, don't you? How do I get back down? out of control and it's coming your way you got about 15 minutes now they want to try something they want to blow those water tanks two floors above you they think it might kill the fire how are they going to get the explosives up here They'll find some dumb son of a bitch to bring it up. Hang on, I'll tell him. 